0: Well, good morning to you and grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a delight and joy to be with you on this Lord's Day morning. Uh, Ordinarily, my family and I serve in Wales, which is part of the United Kingdom, where we've been missionaries for the past five years. We're now enjoying a a period of home assignment before God willing, returning uh, to serve the Lord in Wales uh, late June or early July of this year. Uh, our mission has been uh, to serve at Christ Church Presbyterian, uh, a mission church in Barrie, Wales. Its beginning was 1934, uh, but it has had some ups and downs I- I- throughout the years. And when we got involved in the work in 2015, uh, it was in need of a new beginning. If you know the history of the gospel in Wales, it's been one of, of great gospel light in decades past. Uh, missionaries being sent from Wales uh, throughout all the world, uh, particularly to Korea. Uh, the Korean brothers and sisters uh, look back to the Welsh missionaries as those who brought the good news and brought the truths of God's word. But in recent times, there's been uh, a, a different picture. In our own town uh, of Barrie, which is about 55, 60000 people, uh, on any given Sunday morning, you might have upwards to 2%, but more in the range of 1% to 2% of the whole population attending a gospel-preaching, uh, God-honoring church. And so the the, the need of the gospel uh, is tremendous, it, it is real. Uh, God is preserving his people, and it's been an exciting work to be a part of as uh, we've come alongside brothers and sisters in the Lord, seeking to strengthen the work and uh, solidify uh, uh, the witness and the testimony that we have in the town. It's not as though there aren't churches. Uh, we have a handful of other uh, faithful churches that we know and we love and we support as we're able to. Uh, but the situation is that, that many of the churches in Wales are fragile uh, and, and our work, we feel that we're called uh, to do an equipping work, uh, to do a uh, renewal work uh, with the hopes that God uh, would strengthen the church such that in years to come, it would be more in a position uh, to call a pastor and to uh, have a thriving ministry and a a zealous witness to the community. In the past uh, five years, we've seen people come to know the Lord. We've seen the church being built up in her faith as we attend to the means of grace. We emphasize the preaching of God's word and growing in our faith together as we gather for prayer and serve the Lord together. But also we've uh, been tremendously encouraged by some strategic advances. Uh, One of the issues that we uh, knew going into the work was that the location uh, and the facility that we had uh, to begin with was a blessing, uh, but it was kind of tucked away and a little bit hard uh, to find. Um, And so we were praying and and looking to the Lord and and in uh, uh, 2019, the Lord opened an opportunity, Uh, for a a Welsh chapel that had been uh, abandoned and vacant uh, for probably close to two decades. Uh, It was right in the town center, prime location, lots of people traveling by in cars and buses and pedestrian uh, foot traffic, and we said, Lord, this would be a wonderful context, if it be your will, uh, where we could take possession of this building and repurpose it over time to be a light and a beacon of hope in this place of great gospel need. And through the support of a trust in Wimbledon, England, uh, this perch- th- this building was purchased. We had about three weeks because there was an offer on the table from a, uh, a development company that was going to tear down this, this beautiful uh, Welsh chapel and to turn it into high-density uh, housing. But within that space of three weeks, the Lord provided the funds uh, we were able to come in, and uh, it's, it's a facility that has multiple aspects to it. There's a small auxiliary building that was the first uh, in line to be renovated. And so we had support from ARP churches that sent uh, uh, resources and sent people. Uh, we had three or four voluntary teams, and through uh, what really amounted to modest means, about 50,000 pounds of investment and about six months of of, uh, volunteer labor. Uh, We opened Hope Hall for the very first time in in several decades. And we had, again, a a viable gospel witness going out to the community. Just prior to COVID uh, hitting uh, in the United Kingdom, we began to see some of the first inklings of the promise of this vision uh, to make uh, the profile of the church and to make the accessibility of the church more prominent in the community, we began to see people come off the streets, even while we were in construction and just doing garden work. People would stop and say, what is going on here? And we would say, this is going to be, God willing, a church again. And you could just see their faces. This just does not happen. Uh, We're seeing chapels. We're seeing, it's a metaphor, isn't it, uh, of what has been happening uh, from a statistical standpoint. But when they see, you know, there's people here love the Lord. There's people here that are doing a work of witness, and they're doing a work that is beyond them. Only the Lord can do it. Uh, It's it's sending a message of light and hope. And we pray that this would translate into real spiritual life as people not only come into a building, but come into a family and hear the word of God and know and taste and see that the Lord is good. So please keep praying for us as we anticipate a return. Uh, We're excited about Uh, the advances that have been made in the last five years, all of God's grace. But uh, much more work is is needed. We're praying for more laborers to come. Uh, We've been speaking with uh, many who are interested to come, both on a short-term as well as long-term basis. Uh, Pray also for uh, leadership. Um, We have a a wonderful uh, elder that has been a a great support. Um, But we need more leaders in the church, and so we're praying for that. Pray for people to come and know the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, thank you for allowing us to briefly share that. And that's going to tie into our message this morning, which is from the word of God in Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. I invite you, if you have a copy of the scriptures, uh, to turn to Acts chapter 1. Our reading begins in verse 6. And let us all hear the holy, living, and inerrant word of God. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Thus far, the word of God, and let us go to him for his aid. O God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we come to you who are the source of all life, physical and spiritual. We thank you that you speak to us. We tremble before your word and we bless you for it. And now, O Lord, we pray that you would give us mouths to speak your truths, ears to hear it, hearts to receive it, and hands to serve you in response. We pray, O Lord, that you would bless your church this day, that you would lift up those who are downcast, that you would humble everything that is exalted against you, and O Lord, that you would breathe new life into us by your word and spirit, that we might be a people enabled to know and to do your mission that you call us to do through the grace of our Savior, the King and the head of the church, in whose name we pray. Amen. One of the questions many missionaries might be asking themselves as they first arrive in their country where they're going to serve the Lord, they might ask themselves, what are we doing here? Here we are at the beginning of a new year, 2021. Many people are asking in their households, and and as churches often it's a time of year when we reflect on the question, what are we doing here in our family? What are we doing here in our churches? When a church planter is sent out to a new field across the state or across the town, he might ask himself, what am I doing here? Well, this question, what are we doing here, is really a question of what is our mission? What is our purpose? And the question of what is the mission of missions is the question of what is the mission of the church? And we're going to look at the answer to that question, what is the mission of the church, through this text of Scripture in Acts chapter 1 in these ways. First of all, in verse 8, we're going to summarize the mission of the church. Then we're going to look at in verses 8 through 11, what is the power of the church to fulfill her mission? And then thirdly, we're going to see that we receive the power that God gives us through the prayers of the church in verses 12 through 14. So first of all, the mission of the church in verse 8. Look with me, Will, if you will, at verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. When I think about the mission of the church, my mind often goes back to that book written by the late Professor Edmund Clowney at Westminster Theological Seminary. He wrote that the mission of the church is one but threefold. First of all, the mission of the church is to worship our triune God. That's why we were created, to know him and to enjoy him. And corporately, as a church, we've been born again to be a people to to proclaim his praise. We are to worship God. But also, we are built together as a body. We're not just isolated people, but we nurture one another. We build the body up in love. We are to nurture God's people as the mission of the church. But not only do we, do we extend upwards towards God in praising him and reach outwards towards one another, but we also go beyond the body to be a witness to all the world of God's truth. The church's mission is to be a witness to all the nations. Do these things come from scripture? Well, Look with me briefly, if you will, or just listen to that John chapter 4, verse 23. The Lord Jesus said that this was one of the reasons he came to earth. He says, the hour is coming, and now is here, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. The Father sent the Son to be his true and faithful witness That the Lord Jesus might perfectly reveal who the glory of the Father is. Because the Father is seeking such to worship him. What about nurturing God's people? The Lord instructed Peter when he was restoring him. After he denied him three times, he said, do you love me, Peter? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, well, then do this mission. Feed my sheep. Tend to my sheep. Care for my sheep. Timothy, the, uh, the minister under the tutelage of the Apostle Paul, was told, preach the word in season and out of season. Do the work of an evangelist. Do the work of an of a under-shepherd who selflessly takes care of the body of Christ. So we see that this nurturing of God's people, this mission of the church, begins uh, with the principle of the nurture that we receive from God himself through the ministry of his word. But not only are we to uh, receive the ministry of God's word, but also care one for another. The, The Apostle Peter said this in 1 Peter chapter 5, shepherd the flock of God among you. But as as we receive nourishment from heaven, as we know that heavenly manna descending, and as it builds us up in our faith, well then, we are strengthened to build others up as well. Ephesians chapter 4 tells us that that the Lord Jesus Christ ascended to heaven, that he received gifts, and now in the the wealth of, of what he has received from the Father, he lavishes it upon his body. It's like that picture of oil upon Aaron's beard that, that runs down his whole attire, even to his feet. That, that as Jesus is the one who sends the Holy Spirit, that it, it's like that oil that covers the entirety of the body. That when God blesses a church with faithful preaching of his word, well, then it has that cascading effect intended by God that as those who serve are built up, they serve. As those who govern, they govern well. As those who give, they give with cheer and with generosity. As those who are sent, they, they go with zeal. And as we are nurtured with the word of God, we, we grow together in wisdom and skill and in strength that the Lord gives us. Well, what about witnessing? Witnessing to the world? Is that a scriptural idea? Well, we need look no further than our very text that we just read in verse 8, where Christ said, You will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, we know that when we are called to be witnesses to the world, that it principally... Uh, involves the proclamation of the gospel but that is of course not the entirety of our witness our witness involves doesn't it our worship of God isn't it a witness to the world when you get in your car in the morning or you you walk to church in the morning and and people see yes There is a person, there is a family that have made the worship of God their number one priority in life. Nothing will stop them, nothing will hinder them, because God means everything to them. Of course, as we love one another, the Lord Jesus said, The world will know that you are my disciples. How? By the reality of your love one for another. There is power in our witness when there is the truth of God's word combined with his making it true in our lives. Not perfectly. We know we're still sinners. We know that we uh, still rely on grace. We know that we are growing in the Lord and we have much more growth that he has in store for us. But there is to be that ring of authenticity. That there is a, a real and vital faith. A real faith, hope, and love. John Howey wrote in his book, The Scots Worthy, that next to the downpouring of the Holy Spirit, that what is it that brings about the rapid and success of the gospel? He said, this has always been tied, both in the times of the apostles as well as in the time of the Reformation, to the, quote, simple, holy, and exemplary lives of those who preached and those who heard the gospel. We are meant to proclaim and to receive a felt Christ. A Christ who is not only true in our lips, but true in how we live our lives. A Christ that is worn upon us as we put off the old man and are clothed in the new in Christ. We are to emanate an affection, a a otherworldly fellowship with God himself, that we are to have zeal for his truth that arises out of a real love for who God is and a real gratitude for what he has done for us in Jesus Christ. Titus chapter 2 says we are to adorn this doctrine of God with a holy life, not only to learn Christ, but to wear him. And as we are washed by his word and as we are equipped by his spirit, we put off the old man and put on the new. But these three aspects of our witness, our worship, our nurture one another, and of our witness to the world, these are never separate, though they are distinct. The primary way in which we nurture God's people and we nurture one another. The primary way that we witness to the world is what we are doing in this very moment, in this very hour. God has made corporate worship with a capital W, a tributary that waters the streams of all of our spiritual life and which is meant to aid and to advance the mission of the church this is the mission of missions you don't have to be a missionary you don't have to be a pastor or an elder or a deacon or a church planter to be involved to be an integral part of god's mission for the church there are other ways that we uh, do this outside of corporate worship of course we take who we are and as we're gathered in the week we're scattered be light and salt in the world. That's all true. And yet, God has put his punctuation mark on this mission of our corporate life together. Romans chapter 12 says, For as there is one body, we all have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, individually members one of another. I know we know that truth. I know that we know that we are the body of Christ. But let that be our meditation today. Let it sink in that we are members one of another, that we belong to the Lord Jesus, and therefore the gifts and the Spirit that he gives to one are meant to be shared and to be multiplied for blessing for the many. He says, having gifts that differ... According to the grace given us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if in service in our serving, to the one who teaches in his teaching, to the one who exhorts in his exhortation, to the one who contributes in generosity, to the one who leads with zeal, to the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. There is no extra member. In the body of Christ, all have a divinely ordained mission and purpose and all cohere together in that one mission that he has all called us into together. If this is our mission together, then how will we have the power to fulfill that mission? Well, let's look in our text at verses 8 through 11. In verse 8, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. If, if this was up to us, if this was up to you and up to me, well then, we would be in, in, in great difficulty from day one, from moment one, from the first second. But thanks be to God that the power of the mission of the church does not come from the church itself. It comes from our triune God and specifically the sending of the Holy Spirit. We we glorify God for that truth, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. It's not our natural gifts. It's not our human intellect or our fortitude or our gumption. No, this mission of the church, this mission in your life will only be advanced one iota by divine and supernatural power. But thanks be to God, he has promised what he has called us to do. He is the Spirit of Christ. Let us consider this one who comes to help us and aid us. He is the helper sent from the Father and the Son. He is another witness who takes the things of Christ and makes them our own. Christ said, Apart from me, you can do nothing. I think we often forget that sometimes. We know it's a truth, but when it all comes down to it, we think, well, you know, I I need to really show up here because it's up to me. We need to be reminded, don't we, brothers and sisters, that apart from Christ, we have no power. We can do nothing. We are impotent and weak and foolish, but in Christ, we are more than conquerors. It is because the Holy Spirit dwells in us that Christ is not distant or far, but he said, I am now with you, but I will be in you. He is in us now because he has ascended and the Father and the Son have granted the Spirit to be ours. He says, it is to your advantage that I go to the Father's. This was a real question mark to the disciples. How is it better that Christ is away from us? He says, well, then you'll know power to a greater measure. Christ sent His Spirit that we might be filled with the power with which He was enabled, as the one in His baptism, as the Holy Spirit descended upon Him, as the one who fulfilled that prophecy of Isaiah that He would possess the Spirit without measure. So now He gives us the Spirit without measure. When His Spirit abides with us, we are communing with the God who spoke and all things came into existence. We are communing with the God who's, who upholds the very universe by the word of his power. We are communing with the one who is at the right hand of the majesty on high. One has said that even a Christian, a sole Christian, against many adversaries, is always in a majority when God is with him. In ourselves, we are foolish and we are frail. We are earthen vessels. What hope would we have of going across the pond or going across the street to share the good news, to love each other, and to worship God as we ought? How is it that a band of 12 disciples turned the world upside down? It was only because Apart from Christ, they could do nothing, but when Christ ascended to the Father, they became mighty warriors, more than conquerors, through him who loved us. And now our church, uh, the mission of the church today continues the mission of the Lord Jesus. It is the continuation of the, mit- of the uh, witness that God appointed his apostles to. And if we undertake this mission in our own strength and in reliance upon ourselves, we will surely fail No question about it. But if we humble ourselves and say, yes, Lord, You're calling us to do the impossible, but You are the God of the possible. You're calling us not to do this in our own strength, but Your strength. This battle would be lost if it were up to us, but the battle belongs to the Lord. We remember that the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men, that the the weakness of God is stronger than than the strength of men. Salvation belongs to the Lamb and to the one upon the throne. Remember the story of Moses, how as long as he raised up his arms, they prevailed, the Israelites prevailed over the Amalekites. Well, now we have one who is our intercessor in the heavenly places, who so long as he intercedes for his church, as long as the light of the countenance of his face is upon us, His work, His kingdom, His gospel is going forth inexorably. We think of people in high positions when our time of need. Who has resources? Who has influence? Who can help us? Can they lend strength from their position? Well, we have one who is at the right hand of the majesty on high. And in the place of all power and all authority, He he lends strength. To those who are weak, to those who are in themselves unable to fulfill his mission. This is why the text emphasizes, doesn't it, in verses 9 through 11, the ascension of our Savior into heaven, because it is from there that he gives power for the mission of the church. These are the days of Christ's heavenly reign and sovereignty. Have you ever wondered about that question of the disciples in verse 6? Oh Lord, will you at this time now restore the kingdom to Israel? Well, they kind of had it, and they kind of didn't have it. The Lord Jesus answers them basically by saying, I'm not restoring the kingdom to Israel. I'm restoring Israel to the king. And he says, this is how it's going to happen all the lost sheep of Israel, all the lost people of the Gentile nations, they are going to be restored to God through the King that God has raised into the heavenly places. Aren't we thankful that though He is exalted, He comes near to us in our need. He speaks to us below. He is the one who will not break the bruised reed. He is the one who will not quench the fire. He speaks that we might look up to Him, that we might see in Him all of our hopes, all of our strength, all of our joy, that we might leave aside every sense of foolishness and unbelief and sin and remaining rebellion in our hearts, and to be like one of those lost sheep of Israel who is being restored to the king, restored in a place of service, to become his witness and his servant, that we might be together a people, a kingdom, who is restored to God's fellowship and to God's purpose. This is all possible because of the power of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 16 says, He will bring conviction to the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody and you thought, Well, I'm just not getting anywhere. I'm speaking, but the words are just not penetrating. They're not landing. We think the human heart is an interesting thing. Jeremiah said, Who can understand it? But there is one who made the human heart. There is one who is able to speak and give life even to rocks and make them children of Abraham. The Lord Jesus, by His Spirit, is able to speak into the hardest of hearts. He is able to recall to Himself all that that the Father has given Him. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, Our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. What a beautiful truth. He says it's not just about the preacher. It's not just about the spiritual power that underlies uh, the preaching of the Word, but it's also the spiritual power that underlies the hearing of the Word. That there's a miracle that happens when we hear God's Word as we ought to hear it with full conviction and in the power of of the Holy Spirit. Isaiah was told, you're going to go to a people that have no ears to hear and no eyes to see. And that's how we all are, naturally, apart from the saving grace of God. But thanks be to God that in the mission of the church, He has promised power of His Spirit that there will be a hearing enabled by Him as well as a Speaking enabled by Him. John chapter 15 says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about me, and you will also bear witness. What a wonderful thing to know that there is that resonating witness of the Holy Spirit in the heart of every true child of God. That when we hear our Father speaking, when we hear our Savior speaking, our Shepherd speaking, we hear His voice, we cry out, Abba, Father. And so we see that the work of God is so dependent, isn't it, on the risen Savior, on the work of His Spirit. And that leads onward then to our third uh, aspect of the text this morning, prayers for the church. If we are to receive this power, our text points us to the way in which uh, the means by which God has promised that we might receive this power. The response of the church to this promise was to do what? To wait upon him and prayer. They returned according to the Lord's instruction to the to the upper room. And there they waited together, being of one heart and one mind, devoted to prayer what we see here is that when we are dependent on God, when we're waiting on God to do a work through us, through his church, it's not a passive waiting. It is an active, an expectant, an anticipatory waiting. We are yearning with petition and serious intention. We are expecting God that if he has promised to do this through the church, then we are waiting upon him in prayer that he might do it. When the church is gathered together for prayer in this way, we are knocking on the door of heaven with full expectation that it shall soon be opened in God's time. They prayed that as the floodgates of heaven were opened, so would men's hearts be prepared to receive the word of God. And that's what we see in very short order in the very next chapter as Pentecost, And as many as 3,000 were added to the church who believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who took that first step of repenting of their sins and of their folly and rejection of the Savior. And they began to be the Israel restored to the king. The believers were here in one accord. Because they had one God and they had one shared mission. Not everyone was going to preach, only Peter we see was emphasized as a preacher, others preached, but we see that he took a, a, a prominent place. but out of 3,000 people being added to the body, you have to know there were so many people whose names are never mentioned in the Bible but played a critical role in embracing one another and helping one another as the body was built up in love. If we are serious about this mission of our church here and Columbia, or in Bury Wales, or wherever it may be that the Lord is calling us to serve, we must be serious about waiting on the Lord in prayer. One writer says, Why is it that God answered Elijah and sent fire down from heaven to consume the offering? You remember the story? He was challenging the uh, prophets of Baal, and he said, You go have your sacrifice, I'll have my sacrifice for the Lord. And of course, they were unable, after their many efforts, to get fire to come down and to consume theirs. But Elijah simply prayed to the God of Israel. And God answered with fire coming down from heaven to consume the offering. Why is it that fire came down? Why is it that God showed up in power and vindicated His people? Because fire went up in prayer. A real zeal, a real faithfulness to the promise. And so too for us, if we want the fires of the Holy Spirit to attend to what we seek to do in the Lord's name in our families and our workplaces and our churches and in our missions, both here in Colombia as well as around the world, then we need to be sending prayers of fire, prayers of faith, prayers of expectation, serious prayers that look to our true God. Hebrews chapter 4 says, Let us with confidence then draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and help in time of need. We can come with God with confidence. We know this is what he's about. We know this is what he's called us into. And we know in his time, in his sovereign way, he will pour down found fire from heaven. It has been said that every remarkable work of God in the church has always been attributable or traceable to some remarkable work of prayer. If you want a remarkable work of witness, well then it's preceded by a remarkable work of prayer. Spurgeon used to give a tour of his uh, tabernacle church in London. And he would say, "You know, here's the the fellowship hall, and here's the, the worship hall, and here's where we have events. And then he would take people down and he'd say, this is the power room of the church. And he would open up the door and guess what? It was a prayer meeting behind the door. That was the power room of the church. Spurgeon said, anyone who has the keys of prayer can open the gates of heaven. Jesus said, knock and it will be answered to you. Seek and you will find. Ask and you will receive. Psalm 2 says, ask the Lord, ask me, and I will make the nations your heritage. Let us be asking much in these days in 2021. Oh Lord... Would you restore more of Israel to the King? Would you restore more people, beginning with us, but extending beyond us, to make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession? What are we doing here? What are we doing in Wales? What are we doing here in Columbia and Centennial? I pray that we are on God's mission that we are enabled by God's power and therefore we will be a people much in prayer for these things. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your kingdom, for your mission, for your church, and for the great privilege to be invited into it ourselves. Oh Lord, may these things sharpen our focus, strengthen our resolve, and direct our path that we might be doing the things that you've called us to in the strength that you give us for your glory and for the blessing of all nations. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.